Friends, I forgot to say that it is a communion Sunday this morning, so if you would like to take a few seconds to go and grab some communion elements, uh, whatever you've got will be fine, whether it's just some bread and some water or some crackers or uh, whatever will work for you. If you could grab some elements, then uh, prepare them just for uh, after the service when we'll share in the sacrament together. Reverend Ray Nutley and I will take communion, and, um, and we'll be available after the service for an hour from half past 10 to half past 11, where uh, feel free to come down. If you'd like to receive communion personally, perhaps you'd like to be prayed for, uh, do come down, and uh, Ray and I will be here waiting in the church um, for anyone who would like to just spend some time uh, in the building, in fellowship or uh, in prayer, in worship and receive the sacrament uh, from the two of us. So once again, if you've just joined us, welcome to you. It's good to be able to share together in the service this morning as we continue journeying with Philippians. And today we're looking at the fact that it is a letter of responsibility. So Philippians, a letter of responsibility. If this is your first time with us, a special welcome to you. And uh, please take a moment, uh, even if you're one of our regular uh, viewers, to put a comment in, to tap those reaction buttons, tell us where you're watching from, let us, uh, let us have some feedback, some comments. We'd love to engage with you uh, as you comment on the sermon or on particular parts that are meaningful to you. Please let us know. It's great to have that engagement in the live stream. Like I say, feel free at as many times as you like to hit the different reaction buttons uh, throughout the service as well. And so I would say to you, wherever you are, the peace of the Lord be with you. Thank you. If you're watching with someone, take a moment and pass God's peace onto them as well. Let us come before God in prayer. Almighty God, we gather today, wherever that may be, whether we're sitting in our lounge rooms in Bundaberg, whether we're listening to this on a podcast on the go somewhere, wherever we may be around the world in whatever time zone we may be listening to this, we praise you because you are above time and space. It means nothing to you, and through the wonder of your Holy Spirit, you bind us all together in this moment. You connect us with your Holy Spirit to one another. As we hear your voice, as we come to, to honor you and to acknowledge you as the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the one for whom we give our whole lives, the one whom has sacrificed everything. As we read last week, Lord God, you didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but gave it all in order to humble yourself and come into this world in the, the appearance of a human being. And Lord God, all of this was for each of us. We cannot do anything but respond with the gift of ourselves, a gift where, having seen the giving of your life, that we celebrate today in the sacrament of Holy Communion, we offer you ours. We offer you all that we are, every place that we go, every person we interact with. Each is an opportunity, Lord, for your kingdom to be built through our lives. 
And we pray and ask that you would help us to be faithful to that promise. That as we take the sacrament of Holy Communion today, it would become part of us. And we would be reminded, Lord, that we are part of you. And so, Heavenly Father, we offer ourselves in worship and pray that you may speak clearly to us today. Minister to us through what is said, through the sacrament that we have, to what is uh, read out of the Scriptures, whatever, whatever tools you use, Lord God. May we know that your Spirit is speaking and that we hear from you. Forgive us for those moments when we have ignored you, for the times when, when we've known you to be speaking to us but have, have rather listened to ourselves. Forgive us for moments, Lord God, when we've ignored your Holy Spirit. For moments, Lord God, when we've left you out of our lives. For moments, Lord God, when we've not taken opportunities given to show love, to build your kingdom, to bring people into a touch with Jesus Christ. We thank you that what we celebrate in the sacrament of Holy Communion today, though, is that forgiveness was a done deal on the cross 2,000 years ago. We open our arms and we receive your grace. And so may you be glorified in this moment, we pray, in and through the precious name of Jesus Christ, who taught us when we pray to say, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth, as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Save us from the time of trial and deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. Friends, uh, just a reminder that our Common Ground has a uh, meeting, a morning Common Ground meeting has started up again, Seventh, um, sorry, 8.30 at James's Place, uh, which is just around the corner from Hinkler Center. If you're in Bundaberg, come along and have breakfast with us and uh, spend some time just chatting a little bit more in depth about the sermon, about maybe what it has meant for you, points of connection and so on. We'd love to see you James's place at half past eight, and you get an awesome breakfast as well. Then a reminder that our service um, at the Baldwin Swamp Nature Park is happening again on the 22nd of November, and uh, we'd love to see you there. It was an, a fantastic success last time. People who came really enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. It was great to be together, to see one another, and to be able to worship with, with one another. So, We'd love to see you on the 22nd of November. All the details are in your news and notes that you would have received on Friday. And if you haven't received that, drop us an email. Uh, all the details are on our church Facebook page and website. Drop us an email, and uh, Vanessa will put you onto that emailing list. As I said, we're continuing in our study of Philippians, reading from chapter 2, verses 12 to 18, picking up from where we left off Last week, Philippians chapter 2, 12 to 18. Paul writes and says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, 
not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill His good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky, as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Part of our worship is bringing our offerings to God as well as our intercessory prayers. We thank you for your faithfulness, your continued faithfulness in giving for those who have put their offerings directly into the church bank account and those who continue to bring it in to the office week by week. Thank you for your commitment to worshiping God through what you give Him, through blessing Him in those gifts. If you'd like more details, check our website, check our Facebook page, have a look even in the comments uh, right below this message, and you'll see the details of our bank accounts are listed there for your convenience if you would like to give in this way. We bring those offerings to God now as well as our intercessory prayer. Let us pray. Lord God, may the gifts that we give be received with the love that they are given. May you know that they are a blessing from us to you, a desire for us to show you that all we have is yours and everything we have can be used to build your kingdom. We are so grateful for your many blessings and pray that you would use these gifts to be a blessing to others. We pray for those who are in need of blessing today. We thank, Lord, of those who are uh, struggling in other parts of the world as as uh, second wave infections reach their peak. We pray for them and for the struggles that they're going through, countries who have gone down into harder lockdowns than they've been in before. We pray for the doctors, the nurses, the medical staff, and those working on vaccines. We pray, Lord, for leaders, for wisdom. We pray, Lord, for your guidance for those who have the abilities to make decisions that affect people and can bring greater sense of health. We pray, Lord, for those in our own community who are ill, who are struggling through long-term treatments, who are facing tough decisions, who are going through financial troubles, who have lost jobs at this difficult time. Those, Lord, who have a stressful situation that comes up this week. We pray for those in relationships that we know need healing. We pray for those with whom we need healing. We pray, Lord, for the unspoken prayers of our hearts, those things known only to ourselves and to you, but things, Lord, that so often dominate our minds and, and occupy our thoughts. Whatever those are, 
we lift them to you. We thank you that you're a God who cares, a God who is not taken by surprise by any of our requests because you are in them and through them and know them already. We pray that you administer to us now, that the words spoken would be your words, that the voice we hear would be your voice, and that as we hear your word and prepare for the sacrament of Holy Communion, we may know beyond a shadow of a doubt that your spirit speaks and that you touch our lives. In the name of Jesus, amen. So one of the very first letters that I can ever remember sending, I was in grade two. I wrote this little letter on a piece of paper and sent it to a lovely girl sitting about 10 students to the left down my row. In this letter, I wrote something to the effect of, I think you're pretty and I like you. This wasn't just some random act of creepiness. I was only six years old. It was very sweet and innocent. And the letter was actually in response to a little note that her best friend had brought to me during break, as you do when you're six years old. Little love letters going back and forth. Except I was a naive little six-year-old and simply expected that all 10 of the other little six-year-old students would simply pass my letter down the row without actually reading it. I mean, surely they would see the name on the front and simply get it to its intended recipient without invading said recipient's privacy. Well, that was my first mistake. The first person I passed it on to passed it on to the second, who took a look at the name, took a look at me, and promptly unfolded the piece of paper and read it. This revelation of a secret information about a, a classroom romance was then quickly passed on to the next person and to the next and to the next. The letter wasn't even getting folded up anymore, and it was causing, causing quite a ruckus as it moved down the line. Tongues were wagging, gossip was flying, it felt like the paparazzi were gathering at the windows, and I watched helplessly as person after person invaded this private little note that I had written. At this point, our dear teacher saw all of that was taking place, and she stepped in and she seized the letter. She took it away from the little criminal who had it and began to read it herself. And I knew what was coming. I knew that this was going to be the moment that she would read it out in front of the whole class. But as she read it, I saw her looking at me over the top of her glasses, looking at the little girl down at the end of the other row, and she realized that I had made a grave misjudgment of the ethics of my fellow students. And I think feeling my embarrassment and knowing that the damage was already done, she chose simply to tear up the note and carry on with her lesson. I was grateful, but she was right. The damage was done, and one fragile little romantic relationship would never recover from the scandal of its premature exposure. A pure and innocent love tainted by the harsh realities of the cruel and merciless world of grade twos who took it upon themselves for a week afterwards, I'll tell you, to sing songs about how we were K-I-S-S-I-N-G up in a tree which never actually happened because the young lady wouldn't even speak to me, let alone anything else. 
And no matter how much I try to get out of it, no matter how much I try to deny it to any of the other students, no matter what I try to say, I had to take responsibility for that letter. I had to own what was in it. I had to, had to agree to have, have said uh, what was written me and accept the consequences of what was down. It's a funny little story, but believe it or not, it does actually remind me of the letter to the Philippians, and in particular, the part that we're looking at today. If you remember, I began the series a few weeks ago by highlighting the fact that this book of the Bible isn't, in fact, a book, but it's actually a letter written to a young church which Paul was trying to help and to guide and encourage them through in their faith. We've looked at how this was a letter of encouragement. Then we looked at how this was a letter of purpose. We looked at how it was a letter of instruction. But today we look at the fact that this is a letter of responsibility. You see, friends, there comes a time uh, in this letter where Paul says, and now knowing what you know, knowing what I have written, knowing what's being said, you have to take responsibility for that. Knowing what you know, you have to accept the consequences. Knowing what you know, you have to take ownership of what that knowledge in this letter actually means. Knowing what you know, you take responsibility to the full. The difference between the responsibilities and the consequences in my little letter and this letter of Paul's is that these responsibilities and consequences are not negative and painful and embarrassing. But to take responsibility for what's written in this letter, for the knowledge of what's being put down on paper here, is to enter into something that is life-giving and kingdom-building and Christ-pleasing with our lives. We take responsibility for the knowledge and the consequences of what we know to be true in what we've read. But those responsibilities are nonetheless something which has to be owned by us and taken seriously. And as wonderful as, as that Christ-pleasing, life-giving, kingdom-building may sound, to put those things into place, to take responsibility for what we read in this letter, has significant consequences in how we live out our lives. In three areas. The first responsibility, Paul says, is in the responsibility for our own living for our own lives. Listen to what he writes in verse 12. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Whenever a passage starts with the word, therefore, it means you've got to look at what was previously written. It's part of the reason why I suggested at the start of the series that you take a bit of time and read the whole letter in one sitting. We tend to separate biblical passages into their uh, set blocks that tr the translators have uh, put them in, and we often just see them as standalone passages. But it's not the case, and especially not the case in this letter that Paul writes to this young church. In this instance, Paul has actually just written about the whole mindset of Jesus. 
the humility of Jesus and the obedience of Jesus in giving his life and actually going to the cross and dying for us. What we celebrate in the sacrament this morning. And then Paul says, therefore, knowing all of that stuff, seeing what Christ has done, therefore, when you see what he's done for you, you need to take responsibility and work out your salvation, which doesn't mean figure it out. It doesn't mean try to understand it. It means demonstrate that your salvation may be worked out, that it may be, uh, become visible in your life, that it may have an effect on, on how you live. Our first responsibility when we're faced with the love and the sacrifice of Jesus is to then have our own salvation being worked out in our lives, to have a real change that is visible and evident, that makes a difference. It is perhaps a little easier to understand if we substitute the word salvation for the word freedom. This is what one uh, writer, John Stott, who's now passed away, what, what he suggests. He says, to be saved by Christ is to be free. To be free from guilt, to be free from sin, to be free from fear, free from death. Work out your freedom, says Paul. Or perhaps let your freedom in Christ be worked out in your life. Let it be demonstrated. Let it be explored continually in how you live day to day. Salvation and freedom is not a, a destination that we arrive at, but a journey to be explored and to be enjoyed. But we take responsibility to do that. It's a little bit like a marriage. When you get married, you possess marriage in all of its fullness. You are not more married after 50 years than you are on your wedding day. You can't be more married. Once you're married, you're married. But there is a lifetime of exploration and enjoyment and development and discovery to be had in that marriage. But there are only two people who can take the responsibility to make that happen. Only those two people mar getting married can, can take that ownership for themselves, can begin that journey and, and can start that experience and can look for that joy and can seek to grow the love so that their marriage can be worked out in their lives. That their marriage is visible in who they are. In the same way, Paul says, take responsibility for what God has given you in Christ Jesus. Let that salvation, let that freedom be worked out and enjoyed and experienced. You can't be more saved, but you can take responsibility for letting that salvation be worked out in your life, be evident, be grown and, and visible and explored and enjoyed. So if that's what he means by work out your salvation, then it's interesting that he says, do that with fear and trembling. Why would he say that? Why, you say, why would you say you're to work out this salvation, this freedom, with fear and trembling? Well, because it's possible that we don't take that responsibility seriously. Paul is emphasizing the seriousness of this responsibility. I once read a quote that said, it is possible to have a saved soul 
and a wasted life. It's possible to have a saved soul and a wasted life. In other words, it's possible to know love, to accept the love, to, to, to know the freedom given to us in Christ, but never take the responsibility for letting that work itself out in how we live. Never to, to let it affect how we act and what we do and, and where we go and, and how we relate to people. Never have it be part of how we forgive and how we love and how we care. And Paul would say to us today, don't waste your life. This freedom has not come lightly. It has not come cheaply. Look at what Christ did. Therefore, take the responsibility, knowing what it cost the giver, and don't take it lightly. For this is what God wants us to do in our lives as He works to bring about His good purpose in us. What does that look like in practical terms? Well, here's where the second responsibility comes in. Our responsibility to society. Our responsibility in our own lives, our responsibility to society or the community in which we live. Paul writes, Do everything without grumbling or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. We have a responsibility to those around us to live lives that are noticeably different. Lives that are not characterized by grumbling or arguing or murmuring or moaning or animosity or cynicism. But lives that serve without that grumbling, without the, the counting of cost. There, friends, friends, there is... I don't even have to tell you this. There is no shortage of negativity in today's society. We've just come through elections. And if, if you ever want to see negativity, watch an election campaign. And it doesn't matter whose. It's anybody's. I can't stand the way, I think I spoke about this last week, where politicians will find something to fight about and criticize and break down, even when what's being suggested is obviously a good idea where money is being spent on infrastructure or something like that, and instead of praising that, it's, well, it should have been promised earlier, or it was our idea first, or, or where they're going to get the money from. And from all sides, we, we live in this world where, where negativity seems to be the umbrella over which, which so much comes underneath. It's a world that is so quick to criticize and to moan and to complain and to argue. I was reading the other day somebody complaining about the young people of today. Oh, the, the youth of today, when I, was, when I was their age. Those pesky youngsters. Listen to what they said. I see no hope for the future of our people if they are dependent on the frivolous youth of today. For certainly the youth of today are reckless beyond words. When I was young, we were taught better. We were taught to be discreet and respectful of our elders. But the present youth are exceedingly impatient of restraint. Does that sound familiar? How about this one? Listen to this. The children of today love luxury. They show disrespect for elders. They love chatter in the place of good, wholesome exercise. Children are tyrants not the servants of the household like we were. 
They don't even rise when their elders enter a room. They openly contradict their parents. They chatter before company, and they gobble up the food that's on the table, and they tyrannize their teachers. If you were sitting here in front of me as a congregation, I would ask you what age the writers of those comments are, or maybe what era they came from. And I'm sure if you were sitting here, you could probably say, oh, well, it could have been my parents. Or maybe it, it could have been my grandparents, somewhere around there. It could have been anyone. I've heard, heard lots of old people say that. It may surprise you to know that the first quote was, was taken from Hesiod, a Greek poet in the 8th century before Christ. The second quote came from Socrates in the year 400 B.C. Both way before Christ, both bemoaning the youth with words that you could hear just about anywhere. So you see, the negativity has always been there. It's not something new. It's not something that's around because of, of what we're going through now or social media or anything else. It is there. It is part of the human condition in which we live. But having known the freedom of Christ, having lived in the beauty of the, the positive, radiant love of Jesus, having known the freedom of forgiveness, the freedom from sin, the freedom of, of living life with a purpose, we have a responsibility to live out in society, to live that freedom out in society in such a way that, as Paul says, our lives will shine like the stars. In a world of negativity, living without complaining or grumbling, without murmuring or groaning, but in the beauty of, the, of praise and worship that we know and love, that's what characterizes the life of a Christian. That's what characterizes freedom in Christ. A sense of love and of warmth and of beauty, of hospitality, of care, of kindness. Who doesn't feel the love of Christ when you come into contact with a person like that? Who doesn't feel the love of Christ when you live out in that way? We are surrounded by people who are dissatisfied with life because they have never found the freedom and the joy for which God created them. They've never known the, the beauty and the wonder of living in a relationship with God, of, of finding the purpose for their very existence. Friends, it is our responsibility to shine like stars in this world, that the people may know and be attracted to the beauty of a life not characterized by grumbling and negativity, but characterized by praise. This was Paul's plea to the young Philippian church. This is what Paul is saying. Now that you know these things, this is your responsibility. Does this mean you can't have a moan? Does it mean that you have to always pretend to be happy when you're not? That you have to put on a fake smile or, or, or wear a mask that, you, that you're always happy even if you're sad? Does it mean that you can't stand up for wrong or injustice? Of course not. Of course not. We have to be real as well. But it does mean 
that we recognize that we have a responsibility to seek the good even in those moments, to look for Christ even in the difficult situations, to find things around which we can be thankful for, to look for, for the evidence of the work of the Spirit, to be able to focus on the positive and live in an attitude of thankfulness, to even in those down moments, to seek to find something around which we can praise God. There's a reason that Paul said, give thanks in all circumstances. For doing so brings us back into that sense of the joy and the freedom and the wonder of what we have in Jesus Christ. We have the responsibility to choose joy over negativity and love over annoyance. Of course, it isn't easy. Of course, it doesn't come naturally. If it did, Paul wouldn't be writing it in his letter. But it is our responsibility to the society in which we live, to the communities that we are a part of. It is our example and, and our, our privilege to shine like stars in the generation in which we live. Which leads me to the third responsibility, and that is the responsibility to the church. Paul ends off this section of his letter by saying that if these responsibilities are carried out faithfully, then, then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. To be poured out like a drink offering. That is a reference to a, a particularly heathen practice, which all of the Philippians would have been familiar with. They were converts. They were, they were heathen converts. And uh, it was a practice where a sacrifice was made to the gods. And after the sacrifice was almost done, whatever that sacrifice may have been, whatever animal was killed or however it was going to be done, a cup of wine was then poured out to signal the end of the sacrifice. It was the drink offering, the final act to the God who the sacrifice was going to. It completed the sacrifice and made it complete. Let's pour out the drink offering and the sacrifice is done. It was always done by a priest, and it signified the completion, the end of that sacrifice to the community of the faithful. The way that Paul phrases this part of the letter and the language that he uses is the same priestly language, and it is very clear that he views the Philippians in that priestly role, that it is their responsibility to complete that sacrifice, as he is doing for the benefit of the faithful. The responsibility that we have is not just to ourselves or to our community, but it is also to the church in which we serve, the church where we praise and worship God. In other words, Paul is saying that like he is doing for the benefit of the Philippians, they need to do for the benefit of the faithful, making the sacrifice of their lives complete as they give of themselves in the priestly work of the church. If you've been around church long enough, you would have heard the phrase, the priesthood of all believers, where it is a concept in which we believe that every person plays a role in building the kingdom of God through the work of the church. This is the responsibility, Paul says, that falls upon each and every one of us. 
And so, friends, today as we share in the sacrament of Holy Communion, it is a physical remembrance of the completion of the sacrifice that Christ made for us, where He is poured out like a drink offering, where He gives up the throne in the kingdom of heaven, sacrifices His deity like we heard last week, humbles Himself to enter this world as a baby, makes the sacrifice complete by having His blood poured out as this drink offering. Today, as we take Holy Communion, you and I are challenged to do the same. We may have committed our lives to Christ long ago. We may have been living or doing our best to be faithful Christians, living the faithful Christian life. We may have been serving the community, trying to be an example of love where we are. We may have been serving in the church. All of that is wonderful. We may have been uh, all of those things. And maybe we were struggling in some of them, or maybe we were, in, we're struggling in all of them. Taking communion today is a reminder of the completeness of the sacrifice of Christ. And with Paul's letter, it is a call to respond to that sacrifice, to take responsibility for what we now know, for the knowledge we have. Responsibility in our lives, in our communities, and in our church. And may God bless us. May God strengthen us with His Holy Spirit as we seek to be faithful and take those responsibilities seriously. Amen. Let us join in the sacrament of Holy Communion together. Ray and I will read the communion liturgy, and uh, if you know it, follow in, uh, just follow in your homes or wherever you may be. Friends, look as you gather around this table. It is decked out with simple things, bread and wine, gifts of the earth that remind us that, like them, each one of us holds within us the fingerprints of God who made us. At this table, we are invited to draw up a chair and dine with the saints and to feed our souls. Here we sit with the priests and prophets, prisoners and poets, whose testaments live in the pages of God's book, along with all the friends and faithful guides who live within our hearts. So with this in mind, we raise our voices together with countless others, saying, Holy, holy, holy God, of all creation and life, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of God, Hosanna in the highest. On the night of his betrayal, Jesus took bread and wine and recreated them with a new purpose. We take this bread, and as we break it, we remember Jesus' words, Take and eat, this is my body given for you. We take this cup. And as we raise it, we remember Jesus' words. Take and drink. This is my blood poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. We break this bread together and we become the living body of Christ.
We share the cup together. We become agents of God's grace. We pray together the prayer of humble access. Lord, we come to your table, trusting in your mercy and not in any goodness of our own. We are not worthy to gather the crumbs under your table, but your grace makes us worthy, and on that we depend. So feed us with the body and blood of Christ, we pray, resurrecting to life, life you call us to. Amen. Ray, the body of Christ, broken for us. Preserve and keep us to everlasting life. The blood of Christ that was shed for us, preserve us to everlasting life. Take, drink with thanksgiving. Amen. moments in silent prayer. Amen. We pray the prayer of thanksgiving. We thank you, Lord, that you have fed us in this sacrament, united us with Christ, and given us a foretaste of the heavenly banquet prepared for all people. Amen. Thank you, Ray. I'm not going to close up the communion elements because uh, we will continue to share in communion with those who come to the church um, following the service. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you that you are poured out as a drink offering for each of us. We thank you for the beautiful words in this letter. We've heard words of encouragement, of instruction. We hear words today of responsibility. Word, Lord, words, Lord, that we hear and we know to be true. Words, Lord, that when we take responsibility and, and take them seriously, they change and affect how we live life. It's difficult for that to happen sometimes, Lord. We know we struggle. But hearing these words of Paul, we pray that through your Holy Spirit, the sacrifice that we have taken into our bodies today, may be what empowers us to be like Christ in this world and to live out the responsibilities in life, in community, and in church. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray these things. Amen. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God our Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all and with those whom we love this day and forevermore. Amen.